You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to Locked On Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on your Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. As we chat on this Thursday evening, the Rockets, I believe, are on a plane right now, heading out to Phoenix for the start of their two-game West Coast swing. They play the Suns tomorrow night, and then the Clippers on Monday evening, both nationally televised games. They should be feeling pretty good about themselves, because last night, of course, the Rockets got the 121-112 to win over the Portland Trail Blazers. That improves the Rockets' record to 29-11 and on the year. That puts them still in firm command of the number two seed in the Western Conference. Actually, now only two games behind the Warriors in the loss column, which is what matters for the number one seed. After the Warriors lost to the Clippers last night, Lou Williams, former Rocket, doing his old team as solid by scoring 50 points. There's still a long way to go, but if James Harden comes back within the next week, not a given, but a possibility after seeing him at practice on Wednesday or shoot around, getting some good lift on his shots, D'Antoni referred to it as days. All of a sudden, if you can stay afloat and get a couple more games without James Harden, and then you get him back, just two games back to the Warriors in the loss column, well then all of a sudden, with another game against the Warriors looming next Saturday, if you can take that, all of a sudden, that's how you can get within one game and also secure the season tiebreaker by winning two out of three. Still a long way to go, and it's unlikely, but at least now there's a path to where maybe the number one seed is not totally, completely off the table. For now, I think we can just be satisfied that we're even open to that as a possibility. And, of course, um, being happy about the Rockets, having won four out of six games, including the last five uh, that James Harden has not participated in, having won three of those, and now, as I said, back in firm command of the number two seed in the West with a three-game edge in the loss column over their closest competitor, that being the San Antonio Spurs. And the game on Wednesday night... First things first, apologies for not having an immediate post-game show. As I explained on yesterday's program, our Wednesday interview was our exclusive with Matt Bullard. Best slot for him was before the game, so that's when we did it. Usually we'll have post-game recaps right after. Yesterday was an exception, but today was an off day, so I knew we could get to it today anyway. And I do want to talk about last night's game, because even though you know it's 24 hours old at this point, or almost that, it's still pretty relevant from the standpoint of what we learned about not just the Rockets as a team, but certainly some of their individuals and what you're capable of. Because certainly for the team collectively, again, it's their fourth out of six. So I think the doldrums of that five-game losing streak certainly over. And it's, I would say it's the third statement win in there because against Orlando and Chicago, not so much the opponent, of course, because they have losing records, but you have wins by healthy margins. And then this against a Portland team, give them some credit. The Blazers came in with wins, back-to-back wins over the Spurs and the Thunder. They had essentially all of their players because Damian Lillard returned to the lineup. He scored 29. Of course, they've got C.J. McCollum. Between the two of them, they had 53. So they did what you would expect that all-star caliber backcourt to do, and yet the Rockets were just able to outgun them and actually control the game. The Rockets were pretty much in control from the outset. They set the tone early on defense, got out to a 25-19 lead after the first quarter, and though the Blazers ultimately picked it up, scoring 67 in the second half, the Rockets were playing from in front, which certainly helps a lot, and then they had uh, Chris Paul to shut the door late. So in the first segment of our three points recap, that's what I want to focus on, which is Chris Paul, because folks... He made a statement tonight 
uh, or last night, I should say, that he is still up there with any of the elites in the game. And I know a lot of folks question that going into the year because it's his age 32 turning 33 in a few months season. And folks wanted to know how good he still was. I said after James Harden's injury diagnosis on January 1st, that for those that were still wondering about exactly how elite he was, that this stretch without Harden would show you something. And if you were hesitant about giving him the max deal that I'm sure he desires after this year, or potentially even a five-year deal, this was a stretch for Chris Paul to remind you of that. Well, folks, Chris Paul in his last four games, all without James Harden, in 35 minutes per game, no injuries. Again, he's coming off the uh, doctor's strain, but that's in his rearview mirror. In 35 minutes per game, he is averaging over 26 points, almost 47% shooting, 10.5 assists, 7.3 rebounds, and 1.8 steals. That is remarkable, as good as it gets at the point guard position. And it's not just that he's doing it as a volume scorer. Now, he sort of had to last night, but when you're shooting almost 47% from the field and you're a point guard, you're certainly not just going out there and being inefficient. That's what's the most impressive part of this. Chris Paul is taking on the higher workload in the absence of James Harden, and yet he is still thriving and still keeping, for the most part, his incredible laser-like efficiency. And so when you look at the Portland game on Wednesday evening, Chris Paul, it's a Rockets career high, 37 points. Now, it took him 29 shots to get there, but that's okay. Trevor Reza said after the game, good for him. Uh, also, in addition to the 37 points, had 11 assists, got plenty of his teammates involved, 7 rebounds, just a complete game. Chris Paul, and he did it in all in just 33 minutes. Really, neither guy in the backcourt, Chris Paul and Eric Gordon, each played just 33, so it's not like anybody was overextended. It was just when they played, each was dominant. Eric, of course, had 30 points, 11 of 23 shooting, and 5 of 12 from behind the arc. And... This was a game in which, really, the Rockets, there weren't a lot of other options. And you have to give Portland a lot of credit. They're a quality team, a winning record. It's the first time the Rockets have actually beaten a team with a winning record without Harden, which is big in its own right. We'll get to that in the closing portion of this program. But as far as what it meant for the matchups on the floor, folks, you know the Blazers are eventually going to get going with Lillard and McCollum. They're going to score a lot of points. The Rockets just have to find a way to score more. And when you look at the rest of the players on that team... The Rockets were just 12 of 38 from behind the arc. That's barely over 31%. And of their 12 makes, eight of them came from Chris Paul and Eric Gordon. The rest of the team combined had just four made threes. Ryan Anderson was one of four. Trevor Ariza actually went scoreless. 0 of 6 overall, 0 of 3 from behind the arc. P.J. Tucker was 0 of 1. Gerald Green did have three. But really, Gerald was your only guy who contributed as far as a perimeter scoring option. So it wasn't like... Uh, Chris Paul and Eric Gordon down the stretch of that game when the Blazers got clicking, scoring 35 points in the fourth quarter, could really rely on the normal distribution, the give and take of the Mike D'Antoni offense the way you'd like to. No, with Lillard and McCollum continuing to put up points on their end, you just had to have the Rockets' big guns essentially respond and outgun them, and that's what they did. Again, combined, Chris and Eric had 67 points compared to 53 for the Blazers. What was most impressive is they did it late. The Blazers were able to claw back within three late in the fourth quarter. But Chris Paul, he put it away nine points in the final two minutes. And that, to me, was what's most impressive of all, is it was a game in which the supporting cast didn't really get going. The Blazers certainly got hot late. And Chris Paul and Eric Gordon just made enough plays to outgun them. And it's just tremendous to see that each of them has that added gear when they need it. Because certainly you see James Harden doing that a lot, but to see Chris Paul and Eric Gordon get going to that extent, I think it's big for their confidence. I don't think they lack confidence 
to begin with. But I think if there's a silver lining to this stretch without Harden, besides the obvious, maybe getting Harden a little bit of rest, it's that because you extend some of these guys, maybe you let them find out that they've got a gear that maybe even they weren't fully aware of before this stretch. So I think in the grand scheme, to see Chris Paul and Eric Gordon not just play well, which they certainly have over the past week, but actually outplay one of the league's better backcourts in C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard head-to-head in a game where it wasn't the supporting cast, it wasn't like the Rockets were making a lot of threes, they did out-rebound the Blazers 49-40, to but it wasn't like Clint Capella, 13-9, and was overwhelming in this game. They lost Tarek Black to... A scratched eye, so they were playing small for a lot of the fourth with Ryan Anderson in the middle, which further limited their uh, options on the interior. It wasn't like this was a team win. In some ways, it was just Chris Paul and Eric Gordon's will. They went out there and made plays, and we'll talk about Eric, how he did it in a few moments. First segment, I want to give credit to Chris, because big picture, it's not just this game, it's how he's played this entire five-game stretch without James Harden. I rolled off his numbers earlier. Those are as elite as it gets. And I know around the league, there's been a lot made of LeBron James and his turning 33 season, how incredible it is. And I think Chris Paul has kind of fallen under the radar a little bit, partially because of LeBron being LeBron, arguably the best player in the history of the game. So, of course, you respect that. And then also, Chris did miss a few games with various uh, knick-knack injuries early in the year. As I've said before, I'm not really worried about Chris and the injuries. When you actually look at his history... It's not as severe as a lot of the naysayers would like you to believe. He's actually played in 74 and 82 games in two of the past three seasons. He went through uh, their entire playoff run last year, uh, just one series, but played incredible against the Jazz in that seven-gamer. Of course, he had the legendary series against the Spurs a few years ago. He's played 60 games or more every season this decade. Yes, he's got a few nicks here and there, but there's nothing in his profile to suggest that he's just at enormous injury risk. I think that's largely been overblown just because, you know, by coincidence, he had a couple of injuries early on in his Rockets tenure combined with the Rockets team that's good enough that they can take a very conservative view with injuries, especially to a 32-year-old like Chris Paul. I'm not worried about his injuries. I think that's partly why he's been overlooked. But the fact remains, boy, to see him coming off the adductor strain, playing this many minutes, still this efficient. We called on him after the Detroit game with the last loss by the Rockets on Saturday. I said, without James Harden, they need Chris Paul to be more assertive as a scorer. And he's trying to tiptoe a fine line between a new team, uh, his normal duties as facilitator, and now without James Harden, knowing when to step up as a scorer. Well, folks, he found that extra gear. And what's most impressive, again, 29 shots, which shows you that, yes, he was in aggressive mode. He was the alpha, and he had to be against a Blazers team with Lillard and McCollum that can score that many. He was actually just 3 of 11 from behind the arc. So that tells you he shot 18 times from inside the arc, and of those 18, he made 10. So that shows you that off the dribble, getting to the bucket, the mid-range game, it wasn't just the threes, which we see a lot in Mike D'Antoni's offense. Chris Paul was his normal self. He was getting to the rim. He was in the mid-range game. He was playing Chris Paul because that was the only way, I was. I should say he was playing historic Chris Paul, the way he's been throughout most of his career, which includes the mid-range game, because outgunning the Blazers, that was the only way they were going to win. And credit to Chris Paul and the Rockets, they did exactly that. Now, two of his points ended up being very controversial, and as you've seen on Twitter, I just think that's an absolute joke. In the final 20 seconds of the game, the Rockets up by seven. Uh, They got a steal, and Chris Paul went in and laid it up, and you could see Damian Lillard tried to punch the ball out uh, when the Rockets were dribbling at the clock. They got another steal from Ariza, and uh, the most hilarious thing about it is uh, Lillard trying to throw a tantrum there actually punched at the ball, and 
Chris was so ready for it, and of course so rock solid as a uh, ball handler, that the ball went nowhere. So the tantrum did not even work. It actually made Damian look a little more silly, in my opinion, which in my, the whole thing is silly. Look, this is not little dribblers. This is not a 12-year-old YMCA league. These are professional athletes, and I can tell you guys, I've been a fan. I've paid a lot of money for those seats. I'm sure a lot of you do guys do as well. I don't like seeing guys just dribble out the clock to be nice. Folks, these are professionals. They are paid to be the best in the sport at what they do. So the idea that just because a team's up in the closing seconds, and by the way, a seven-point lead with 20 seconds is not exactly a commanding margin by any stretch of the imagination. But even if we imagine there was a 15-point lead, I still would not feel any differently about it. Folks, I pay to see them make plays. It's not about stat padding. It's just about, you know, you play until... Uh, until the whistle, and I'm not going to begrudge anyone for doing that. Look later last night when Lou Williams hoisted up a 30-footer to get to 50 points against the Warriors when the Clippers were up by 16 in the final 30 seconds. Could he have dribbled it out? Sure, but he threw it up. He was going for 50. Credit to him, he made it. And Steve Kerr, the appropriate reaction, he just kind of laughed and shrugged. That's basketball. That is professional sports. I'm not going to say that, um, you know, not embarrassing trying to keep the score as friendly as possible. I'm not going to say it has no place, but folks, that's stuff for kids. When you get at the highest possible level, this is as cutthroat as it gets. You're never going to get me to begrudge any player for for, for going out and playing uh, until the last whistle. This is what they are supposed to do. This is their job. They are professional athletes. This is not about participation. This is not about um, massaging egos. These are the best the best players, and if Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers are upset about it, then folks, they can handle the ball better, and they can play defense, because Chris Paul went to the lane. You know why? He went to the lane because C.J. McCollum was just jogging back and not really caring. So, yeah, Chris kept playing to the final whistle, and if the Blazers want to do that, I strongly encourage them to, because as a paying customer, I think it's better for everybody if the teams maximize the time out there. The fans pay a lot of money for these tickets, and I don't think they want to see players just kind of give up when the margin is healthy. These are professionals. It's not about um, massaging egos. And in my opinion, uh, it's just a little ridiculous. And, you know, the, the Portland folks that are upset about it just need to get over it. Now, the one funny part of the final Chris Paul layup that led to all that controversy was that it actually gave the Rockets a nine-point win. And I was told that the spread was Rockets by seven, which is what it was before the layup. So courtesy of that Chris Paul driving layup at the end, if you bet on the Rockets, minus seven, well, folks, you got a uh, fantastic uh, gambling win. And that brings me to remind you guys about a good friend of the show and our sponsors today. That's the fine folks over at MyBookie, because without their support, we would not be able to bring this show to you as frequently as we do, the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets. And folks, if you want to bet on the NBA or the NFL playoffs, it's a fantastic weekend over on the football side for divisional playoff games, in my opinion, the best weekend in uh, the NFL calendar all year, then folks, mybookie.ag, our sponsors for today, that's where I strongly encourage you to bet. They're the number one rated online sports book. And while making the right bets, such as picking the Rockets minus seven last night, is part of the equation, where you bet is also a big deal. And folks, if you get knowledge from this show or any others across the Lockdown Podcast Network, the best way to use that knowledge to win cash is by betting over at mybookie and in part... In addition to all the obvious benefits, they make it very easy to deposit and even easier to cash out your winnings fast. So again, it's not just about what you know, it's also about where you bet. And with MyBookie, you get the best of both worlds. 
Now, as far as uh, what you're betting on, another great benefit to my bookie. They're very flexible. They've got odds on literally everything. There's live betting, and they've even got an all-new prop builder, so you can literally create your own bet slips and bet how you want. I know some of us, you know, will bet on what James Harden, Chris Paul, LeBron James might do in a, in a given game. Well, folks, with that new prop builder, you can bet it at my bookie and put your money where your mouth is. And the simplicity of it, folks, you can bet from your desktop, your tablet, or on their world-class mobile site. And it's just easy to do anytime, anywhere. And they offer the fastest, no-hassle payouts when you win of any sportsbook I've been around. The real perk of this, you guys, as my listeners here at Locked On Rockets, y'all all get, by using the promo code LOCKEDONNBA, a big bonus. My bookie, when you make your deposit, they will match it with up to a 50% bonus when you use that Locked On NBA promo. So, folks, it's really simple. Visit mybookie.ag today. Bet on the Internet's favorite sportsbook where you play, you win, and you get paid. Initial segment, we were talking about the Chris Paul dynamic, what we've learned from him, and why his elevated level of play in James Harden's absence, 26 points 10.5 assists, 7.3 rebounds, all on nearly 47% shooting from the field. It reminds folks just how elite he still is, as good as any point guard in the NBA, and certainly worthy of a max deal uh, after the season. That's a big part of it. But Eric Gordon is as well. We mentioned Eric's stat line from last night earlier, 30 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, 11 of 23 from the field, 5 of 12 from behind the arc. But let's go over those same four games that we mentioned without James Harden, the stat line for Chris Paul just a few moments ago. For Eric in those, he's averaging 24.8 points per game, 6.5 assists. We've talked the last couple of shows about his increased production as a facilitator. Last night, that wasn't really the case because they needed him more as a scorer. They needed points against Lillard and McCollum and 4.3 rebounds. So in the absence of Harden, they needed uh, Eric Gordon to step up across the board as an assist man, as a rebounder. He's done that. And his shooting percentage in that, folks, those last four, 47.4% from behind the arc and 35% from three. The last two games, he's actually 9 of 24 from behind the arc, which is 38%. And he's done that on um, 12 attempts per game. Again, that's why he's 9 of 24, including 5 of 12 last night. And that, to me, is what bodes the best, because of course he's making 38%, which is a nice clip. On the, on the year, he's averaging 20 points per game. He's been much better as a scorer this year. He's been much more athletic. We saw that last night when he had the, the poster uh, put back. He, he missed the shot in the fourth quarter and then somehow got underneath it and threw it in in one motion. That was the clipper, Eric Gordon, in terms of athleticism. We've talked about how improved he's been off the bounce this year, and all that stuff is fine and good. But what we've seen from Eric in the bigger picture, is that he has shined the most when he's been in that number two role. Early in the year, that was alongside James Harden when Chris Paul was out. Now it's alongside Chris Paul when James Harden is out. And he certainly was not bad when he was the number three option with Chris Paul and James Harden both playing. But he was not at his maximum efficiency. And the biggest reason for that, in my opinion, there are fewer opportunities with both of those guys out there for him to truly be an attacker. That's when you need Eric Gordon more as a floor spacer. And 34% from three this year, maybe it's artificially deflated a little bit by the volume at which he takes. But I think he'll also admit to you, and he has, he's just missed some shots that he thinks he should make. This is a career 38% shooter at the NBA level, the reigning three-point champion. He thinks he is an elite shooter, and from everything I've seen, he should be. This year, through uh, 40 games, nearly the halfway point, he hasn't been. But the last two games, in addition to you know scoring, averaging 27 points per game, the last two, which is certainly nice to see, to see the three-point shooting perk up 
38%. Last night, he was 42%, 5-12. And also the volume. Folks, he took some threes and made them in the second half against the Blazers last night that were the kind of threes that you don't see Eric Gordon taking unless he feels really good about his shot. There were a couple he made that were literally 28-29 footers. So that tells you, in addition to him making it, he is feeling better about his jumper than he has in a while. And that's a really good sign because when you get James Harden back, and as we mentioned off the top, that could be as soon as next week, based on the miraculous recovery he seems to be having from that grade 2 hamstring strain. No, Eric Gordon's attacking skills are not going to be irrelevant. It's certainly nice to have that from time to time, and he is going to be the number 2 still for large stretches of the game. But in terms of, especially what I would consider winning time, when you want to have those lineups down the stretch in close games, like potentially that Warriors game, if you get back in the number one seed talk, I don't want to say put too much on that now, but you know that's a big opportunity next Saturday night. And regardless, you're going to have close games, whether you're competing for the one seed or trying to hold off contenders from the number two, whatever it may be. And when you're in those closing lineups, the attackers are generally going to be James Harden and Chris Paul. What you're going to need Eric Gordon for, by and large, is floor spacing. So to see him not just score, but to be able to score from behind the arc, again, nine made threes in his last two games at a 38% clip, five of 12 last night, that to me is a more sustainable model for Eric to keep that efficiency when James comes back and when you have your full cast of characters led by James Harden and Chris Paul. Because that to me, I think if you would nitpick Eric Gordon, yes, on the season, he's averaging 20 points per game. He's been just a tremendous player on the balance of the year. But if you can nitpick, he's been more valuable when James or Chris has been out than he has been when they're together. He's still trying to find his footing in that lineup. And for him to find fully find his footing with both of those guys on the floor, it's the three-point shot that's going to be most critical for him to do that. So for him, the last two nights, not just to find success, but to you know make a lot of threes, and you can clearly see him gaining confidence in that shot. That, to me, is a really promising sign, not just for the short term, but the long term as well, that when you get James Harden back and finally you have James Harden and Chris Paul together for an extended period, that hopefully you can, uh, that, that's the recipe to keep the fringe all-star level of Eric Gordon that we've seen for a long stretch of this, of this year, such as the first month without Chris Paul and now this recent five-game stretch without James Harden. Now, for the final segment of our three points recap, I'm going to talk about mostly the standings. Now, I do want to throw an honorable mention out there uh, before we talk too much standings. I did like what I saw last night from Ryan Anderson and P.J. Tucker. Now, they didn't really get it going from three. That's kind of the, you know, the ultimate barometer. They each need to start shooting better than 25% from behind the arc. That's what they're paid to do. Uh, and combined last night, they were just one of five. Ryan, one of four. P.J., 0 of one. But P.J. was 3 of 6 overall, had 8 points, was a plus 9 in his 29 minutes. I thought his defense was as good as it looked in some time. You had him guarding everyone from the perimeter guys like Damian Lillard all the way to Nurkic inside. So we saw the flexibility from P.J. He was active, made some key plays with his hands. Uh, Ryan Anderson, 8 points, 7 rebounds. Hashtag slap him again. Most of his points came early in the game, including that 3 after he was slapped, which led uh, Bill Worrell to that now famous line on uh, last night's TV broadcast. He didn't really uh, get hot from three, as I said, just one of four. Most of his points got going early in the game. But Ryan actually played 35 minutes, had 8.7 rebound. It's not an eye-popping stat line, three of eight from the field, but I thought both of those, PJ playing 29 minutes, Ryan in 35, 
those are reflective, in my opinion, of how of how well they were contributing to the team's level of success, even if it didn't always show up in either box score individually. And, you know, when you look at that, for example, Tarek Black played pretty well last night, 13-5, and 6-8 from the field in 15 minutes, but he left late in the third or early in the fourth, forgot exactly when, with the scratched eye. So you could have played Clint Capalamore, who only played 24 minutes, and his stat lines was impressive, 13-9, and nine, plus 8. Actually, you played with either P.J. or Ryan in the middle a lot because you were having success with those guys. They brought the energy. And I think, you know, you could see Monday that even though it wasn't a banner night for them, it was certainly better than when they were at their worst, but they were starting to have fun again. And when you're having fun, it's amazing how that kind of can trickle into your defensive energy and effort. As I said, with P.J., I thought it was his best defensive game in weeks. With Ryan, no one's going to mistake him for you know, an all-NBA defensive player. But I thought he was active. Again, the seven rebounds was nice to see. And he was just, he got a lot of hustle plays. The defining sequence, other than the end of the game, when the Rockets put it away late, Chris Paul with nine points in the final two minutes, they went up 14 midway through the fourth with about six minutes left. And the Rockets actually missed a couple of good looks, one from three, one inside on this possession. And they got a third chance because Ryan... Ryan Anderson tracked down the ball and then kicked it to Gerald Green at the top, who switched to three to put the lead at 14. And even though the Blazers did make one final push, credit to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum for being really good scorers, at the same time, if you're up 14 with six minutes to go in an NBA game, it's going to be generally tough to overcome. So Ryan, you know, Gerald gets headlines for the shot, and, he, you know, he was good again, Gerald. 12 points, 6 rebounds, even had 4 assists. So we're seeing Gerald, again, he is still making threes, 3 of 7, but you know teams are closing out harder on him, so he's trying to attack the rim. He's also passing the ball well, so credit to him, as I've said a lot this past week, adjusting to the adjustments a, a little bit. But just because Gerald gets credit for making the shot, don't forget that Ryan kept it alive. I thought generally uh, he played hard, he threw his body around, and it was an encouraging game, I would say, for both of those guys, Ryan and P.J., from the standpoint of, even though they didn't make a ton of threes, I thought they were having more fun. I thought their energy was better. And ultimately, that's how you keep keep yourself afloat through the bad times until your shot starts falling again. It's also how you keep yourself in the best frame of mind to not dwell on the fact that you're missing shots. And if you don't dwell on that, that's going to make it all the more easier for you to make those shots. That's part of our discussion we had with Matt Bullard yesterday. And certainly it's going to be needed because it looks like Nene's still out for a few more days with that bruised knee. Tarek Black probably not going to play Friday with that stretched eye. Needs a couple more days to let that to heal. So in the absence of having a backup center, you're going to need Ryan Anderson and P.J. Tucker to play more of those minutes behind Clint Capella. So it comes at a good time to see them getting in, into some rhythm. But they're my honorable mention. My third takeaway from this, it's bigger than that. It's about the standings. As we said leading off, Rockets now 29-11 on the year. They're winners of four of their last six coming off that five-game losing streak. Only two games back to the Warriors down in the loss column for the number one seed, so all of a sudden they're kind of sneakily not out of the mix for that, but they're three games up on the Spurs in the loss column, five games up on the Timberwolves, so you're starting to get that same separation you had before this downstretch, which is very encouraging to see. Margin for the Rockets back up to plus 7.8 on the year, which is always nice to uh, take some positives out of. It shows you how dominant they've generally been over the balance of these first 40 games. We'll officially be at the halfway point with tomorrow night's game against uh, against the Phoenix Suns. But this one is big because they were able to beat a quality team without James Harden. And, you know, the margins were the first step. We mentioned in yesterday's show that of this stretch without Harden, not only have you gotten two wins in that before yesterday, 
but you had two wins against Orlando and Chicago on the road by healthy margins. That's a big step. Because when the Rockets are at their best, they weren't just scraping by. They were beating teams by a lot. So that's a positive step. But the nitpick you could throw in there, no, Orlando and Chicago are not good basketball teams. And so even if you beat them by good margins, okay, what's going to happen when you don't have James Harden and you play a good team? Well, folks, the Blazers are a team with a winning record. They're a playoff team. They had their full cast of characters. They were coming off wins against the Spurs and the Thunder. That's a good team. And even without James Harden, the Rockets got the win. And really, they led it the entire way. It wasn't even that close. So to me, that is a really encouraging sign that the Rockets are playing this well without James Harden. Certainly, they're not going to be as well as good as they were until James comes back. Let's be real. They are missing his 32 points and 9 assists per game. You're not going to make up for that. But I think beating a team like Portland, a quality opponent, without James, that's big long term because it shows you that even without James Harden, you can find ways to succeed even against quality opponents. And that's big to remember for down the road, because even if James comes back next week and there are no lingering effects from the hamstring, which that's no given at all, because hamstrings are notoriously easy to re-injure. But even if James, you know, even if we assume the best case happens, James is Superman, he comes back and puts the hamstring behind him, even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, it's still not like rest is going to be irrelevant for him just because he had a couple of weeks off in January. For the Rockets to get James at close to 100% as they can, he's going to need to save some minutes and maybe even save some games in March and April the same way the Warriors are going to do with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. The same That's what they did last year. The same way the Spurs have done with Kawhi Leonard. And for the Rockets, it's something they didn't do a year ago. A lot of folks made that uh, correlation when Harden and the, a lot of the Rockets seemed to run out of gas in that second round series against the Spurs. And they addressed it partly by adding Chris Paul which potentially should uh, alleviate Harden's usage a little bit over the balance of 82 games. But beyond that, I do think there's benefit to just giving him occasional uh, days off. Or if you don't give him a, a day off, at least a night where he only plays 30 minutes, where you cap him. But the problem, I think, in doing that, especially last year, Harden has been so otherworldly in Houston in terms of both his production and his durability that it was tough for the Rockets to envision what a James Harden-less team was capable of. And there's always something. In the NBA, whether the Rockets are competing with the Warriors for the one seed or they're trying to hold off teams like the Spurs and Minnesota for the two, whatever it may be, there's always going to be something to play for. It's very unlikely that the Rockets are going to get to March and April and just be locked into their seed with nothing to play for. There's always going to be something out there. Hell, even if there's not, there's just a matter of trying to make sure that you stay sharp as best you can because it's a fine line between rest and rust. You want to give guys occasional games off, but you also want to make sure that they get enough reps to still be clicking once the playoffs start. But I think over the balance of James's time in Houston, part of the issue with not resting him is because with... James himself and the Rockets as a team, it is so tough to envision the Rockets succeeding without him because he is so much a part of their identity. And of course, in the past, I don't think the Rockets would necessarily be able to have this much success because you didn't have Chris Paul and you didn't even have Eric Gordon as good as he is this year. So, you know, part of it's the personnel. But regardless, for, for so many years, James has been so ungodly good and incredibly durable that I think that part of the calculus, both for James and the team, when you get to a given day and you're thinking, maybe I can give James the day off, well, nobody wants to lose. These guys are competitors. And so if it's close, I think uh, generally they've all erred on the side of, well, let's play him because we probably need James to win the game. He's so much a part of their identity. Now, again, I'm not saying he's not now. 
Certainly, he's still the best player on the team. He's the MVP frontrunner, averaging 32 points and 9 assists per game. Yeah, you better believe they miss it. However, while he is, you know, certainly he's still a part of their identity, he's not their only identity. There is enough of a supporting cast now. Again, when you have Chris Paul able to give you 37-11-7 against a quality opponent like the Portland Trailblazers, you can have success without him. You can get through, especially on a short-term basis, a few games without him in the lineup. And certainly it helps you right now. Again, they've won four of their past six after that five-game losing streak. But more than that, I would say file it away in your memory bank for March and April. Because just because James misses a couple of weeks in January, it's not like you can just throw him out there 36-plus minutes a night the rest of the way and then expect him to be uh, the same in terms of freshness in the playoffs as guys like Kawhi Leonard, uh, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, who have been more tightly managed throughout the year. When it gets to the dog days, March and April, James needs some occasional um, minutes management, perhaps game management as well. And I think the success of this run without him gives you more confidence, both uh, the Rockets as a team and also James individually, that, hey, it's okay if you take the night off or you only play half a game, so to speak. It's okay if you uh, kind of dial back the throttle a little bit uh, down the stretch of this year. I think we could see signs of that all along. On paper, it was there that they're better this year without James Harden. And the first week, generally, they played pretty well. But again, before Wednesday night, the hole you could poke in it is, well, Orlando Chicago are not good basketball teams. Well, now, in addition to getting the cumulative wins, you have a win over a quality opponent. And that, to me, bodes very well for not just the short term, but the long term in terms of managing James Harden and hopefully having him a little fresher in April, May, and June 2018 than he was in 2017. So with that said, I will leave things right there. As always, thanks to you guys for listening. If you want to follow me on Twitter on a real-time basis, that's the best way to communicate. I'm at Ben Jubose, or you can follow the show at Lockdown Rockets. Also, don't forget our website, LockdownRockets.com or Facebook.com slash LockdownRockets, where we have some fun interactive content planned in the days ahead. Also, if you want to support this show, the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets, the best way to do that, please visit our awesome sponsors over at MyBookie.ag. Remember, use the promo code LockdownNBA. Join now with that promo, and MyBookie will match your initial deposit with up to a 50% bonus. It's the internet favorites, the internet's favorite sportsbook, I should say, certainly mine as well. And besides all the obvious benefits, folks, when you win, you get paid out immediately. That's our great sponsors over at mybookie.ag. Try them out. Use that Lockdown NBA promo code because that's the best way supporting our sponsors to support this show. Other ways besides sponsors, uh, leave us a positive rating wherever you subscribe to us. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Megaphone. If you're already subscribed, where you can get our episodes right when they come out. I strongly encourage you to do so. And again, leave that positive rating because that's the best way that we can uh, remain viable to advertisers such as our fine folks over at mybookie.ag, the sponsors of today's show. So with that, I will wrap things up. Uh, Once again, the very happy final from Toyota Center last night. Rockets, uh, wow, why am I blanking on that? 121, I I guess because uh, with the controversy of the Chris Paul layup at the end of the game, but Rockets 121, Blazers 112. Rockets now 29 and 11 on the year, still in firm position for the number two seed in the Western Conference, and only two games back in the lost column of the Warriors for the number one seed, thanks to uh, former Rocket Lou Williams for going off with 50 points last night in Golden State. 
Again, the Rockets are back in action tomorrow night in Phoenix. It's a late game, nationally televised, so whether you're in Houston listening to this show or anywhere else, you should be able to watch it. It'll be fun, and again, not a great opponent. So hopefully the Rockets will be able to extend this stretch now at 4 of 6 without uh, James Harden to 5 of 7. We'll see what happens late tomorrow night. Until then, folks, thanks as always to you guys for listening. I'm Ben DuBose. This is Lockdown Rockets. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and we'll be talking again shortly after Friday night's game when the Rockets take on the Phoenix Suns out in the desert.